is to, to come together uh, at this place from all the experiences of our week and to sing an anthem like this about God's goodness, to remind ourselves that this, this God that we gather to worship, this God we've given our lives to, is good to the core, is better than we could ever even imagine. Um, and when we, like, when we understand that, Actually, to get a glimpse of God's goodness, it, it just inspires us to trust Him. Uh, Jesus, at the end of His life uh, with His disciples, he, he says this before He leaves them. He says, trust in God, trust also in me. Like, trust me. And if you, you sort of unpack what that word trust means, it's, it's more than just kind of a like, Oh, I, I believe you are who you say you are. Like, the word trust, it, it's this really weighty word, and it actually means to entrust yourself to me, to, like, put yourself in my care. Like, those, those children who, you know, are standing here with their, or with their parents, right, being held in their arms, like, it's, that's sort of the, the posture, to entrust yourself to the Father, to trust Him. And so, um, thank you. Thank you for singing. Thank you for, for just for being here. Thank you for who you are, that you, um, whether you are a part of the Journey family and you, uh, you show up every week and you sing these songs and you pray together, thank you. Uh, it is, man, it's just so much joy to be a part of a family of faith. And if you're here this morning um, with other people as a family member to be supportive of those uh, parents who are dedicating their children, it's, it's great to have you here. If you're here as a visitor, uh, and maybe you're coming in from, from a place of almost skepticism to faith, of, of just exploring what, what this whole church thing is about. I'm so glad you're here. So glad you're here. Um, this morning, I want to talk a little bit. Well, first of all, we're in a series called More Than a Song. And this series, we're exploring what it means to, to worship, like in the, in the depths of, of what that really sort of means to worship, more than just singing songs, uh, more than just sermons, what does it mean to live a life of worship? And, and so we're exploring some different practices, and one of those practices I want to introduce you to is we don't often read prayers together, but I'd like us to do that. Uh, this is a prayer from the Book of Common Prayer, and uh, let's, just, let's just read it together, if, if you would. So let's, let's pray this. Almighty and everlasting God, in whom we live and move and have our being, we, thy needy creatures, render thee our humble praises for thy preservation of us from the beginning of our lives to this day, and especially for having delivered us from the dangers of the past night. For these thy mercies we bless and magnify thy glorious name humbly beseeching thee to accept this our morning sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving for his sake who lay down in the grave and rose again for us thy son our savior jesus christ amen now amen so this is uh this is a prayer from the book of common prayer but the interesting thing is you won't actually find it in the book of common prayer today because this was a prayer that was written in the 1700s. Uh, many faithful men and women prayed this prayer for about two centuries. And then in the early 1920s, when the Book of Common Prayer got revised, this prayer didn't make the cut. It was interesting. 
Was there anything about this prayer that made you say, like, wait a second, that, besides the, like, beseech the, we don't often talk like that, uh, but is there anything about this prayer that, like, sort of caught your attention? Is like, oh, that's a little bit odd. Like, I'm not quite sure why we would pray that. Anything? About, I think I heard somebody say, uh, like, that line, look in the second line there, for delivering us from the dangers of the past night. Did that strike anybody as odd? Like, what's so dangerous about the past night? And what changed from like the 1700s when this prayer was, was written and the 1900s when this prayer was excluded? What, what changed about the dangers of the night in those periods? Well, maybe a lot, but one thing in particular, cha- electricity, right? And the in- invention of, of light bulbs um, changed the way we experience this dark, scary night. Uh, because now we have control over the night. We can light up the night with a flip of a switch. We have cities that never sleep. Um, this past week, we were, we were um, sitting around the dinner table as a family, and we just, you know, just kind of talking, hanging out, and we started talking about phobias, like the most common things people are afraid of, arachnophobia, stuff like that, glossophobia. Everybody know what that one is? Fear of speaking in public is, is what that one is. So I'm glad this is not public, right? That we're family. Um, but uh, there's one called uh, nyctophobia. Uh, Anybody want to take a guess what nyctophobia is? Fear of the dark, fear of the night. How many of you have nyctophobia? Everybody under six should probably like raise their hands, right? Because this is kind of a pretty common thing for kids, uh, that, that we have this fear of the dark. And so one of our kids' bedrooms, there's always a light on. We sleep with a light on. And it, it changes the way we experience the night. We have the control over the power of the darkness with the invention of the light. And so here's the thing. The last couple hundred years, last couple hundred years have given us as humanity this, this incredible power. It is this power of control. And, and our technology has changed the way we pray. And it's changed the way we relate to God. And it's changed the, our spirituality, the things that we ask God for. It doesn't make sense necessarily to pray, God, thanks for delivering us from the dangers of the past night because we're not as scared of the night as we used to be. Does that make sense? Anybody? So, so, we, we have, like, we have now this kind of illusion of control. That we have these layers of control over the big, scary, natural world that we, you know, can affect us. I can change the temperature in my house with a push of a button. I can change the whole environment of my house in the, with a push of a button. And it doesn't have to be the button on the wall on the thermostat. It can be a button on my smartphone. From anywhere in the world that has Wi-Fi, I can change the temperature in my house. Uh, I can, on a morning like this, I could turn the air conditioner on to help my kids get out of bed in the morning if I wanted to. I can, change, I can bump the, the heat up while I'm laying in bed in the morning if it's too cold. We have this power over our environment, and, and we're insulated by layers and layers and layers that give us this sense of being the masters of our house, the keepers of our inn. And it's changed our dependency on God. In the 1700s, it would have been much, a much more real thing to live in a place of complete surrender to God. Because we need God in, in every way to deliver us from the dangers. And today, you know what? Spirituality is more common. It, it's not, God, uh, God, help me. God, I surrender to your will. Today's spirituality that's more common is, God, uh, hey, I've got plans. Would you bless my plans? 
Here, here's, here's the way my day is going. Here's my schedule for the day. Here's my schedule for the week. Here's the direction. I'm, I'm charting the course for my life. This is what I want to do with my life. God, would you just bless the plans that I'm making? And so we're not in this place of surrender to God and dependency on God. It's this place of saying, we're just going to ask God to sort of bless what we're doing. It's changed us. We have this illusion of control. But every once in a while, there are these experiences that shake us up, that like wake us up. Sometimes with jarring speed to the reality that we don't actually have as much control as we think we did. Right? You've had these experiences. Um, you, get a, you get a diagnosis, and you realize, I don't even have control over my own body. Uh, we've been watching the news this last week about wildfires in California, and you realize, like, we, we're still very much at the mercy of natural forces that we can't control. Um, so, so maybe you've had one of these experiences that just kind of wake you up, that the veil, the illusion of control sort of uh, gets, gets pulled back and you realize we're more vulnerable than we think we are. So this morning I want to talk about worship as surrender. What does it look like to willingly lay down our desire for control, to willingly sort of pull down the veil that says, it, I want to be in control of my life and to give that over to Jesus, worship as surrender. And here's the thing, we're, surrender isn't all that uncommon to us. We surrender all the time. Like all the, and, and I realize you might have like, when I hear the word surrender, there's this visceral reaction in me that says, no, nah, I don't want to, right? I, I, I don't want to. I'm not going to say uncle, right? I hate losing. I hate giving up. And so surrender is not an easy thing. And yet we surrender in small ways all the time. Uh, how many of you have been on an airplane in the last year? Anybody? Okay, a bunch of us. When you get on that airplane... We even have a pilot in the room, right? You get on that airplane. Let's say you're getting on the plane with Vince, um, and he's going to fly you somewhere. You have completely surrendered to Vince as your pilot. Sorry to pick on you, Vince. Sorry, not sorry. You've completely surrendered to Vince as your pilot. You've put your trust in him. Why did you trust him with, like, you have no more say-so over your destination. You have no more say-so over how the plane moves through the air. You are completely surrendered to that experience. And even more so in a commercial airline, right? When you don't know the person. Why do you do that? Or Howard, our lead pastor, he had back surgery this last week, which, by the way, went very well. Keep praying for him. He's at home. Had a, had a really rough night and lots of pain. And so pray, pray for them as they rest. But when Howard went into back surgery, it was his total surrender to the whole medical team, to the anesthesiologist, to the surgeon, uh, there was no sense of like, hey, I'm going to tell you how much anesthesia to give me. Just, just give me a little bit less so that I can be awake so I can tell the surgeon where to cut and how much, you know, to take and whatever. Just give me a stick to bite on, right? There's, there's no sense of control when you go into this. When you've had surgery, right, it's co- a complete surrender. Why? Why do you do that? When you go to the grocery store, here's an, you go to the grocery store and you pick a piece of fruit or whatever it is, you, this thing you buy, you bring home, you set it on the table and you eat it and you feed it to your family. You are trusting this whole unseen chain that brought that food from the grower to the grocery store to your table and you're trusting that it's not going to hurt you, that it's actually going to help your body. Like why do you, you're surrendering to that. Why do we do this all the time? And so we do this in worship. Worship is an act of surrender to God. But, but, but many, many times we actually go off course right from the beginning in our life with God. And this is what C.S. Lewis says in his book, Mere Christianity. Uh, it's, it's a fantastic book. C.S. Lewis, he says, here's the problem. The, the, the way we start this journey with God most often, for many of us, 
is this, this place that says, I want what I want. I want to be happy. I want my ambitions to be fulfilled. Uh, I want to be the, the sort of the captain of my ship. I want what I want, but I also want to be good. And I realize not everything that I want is good. And so I, I, I want what I want. I want to be in control, and I also want to be good. I want to be a good person, a godly person. And so some of us, this is, our, this is our life with God. We want to be in control and we want to be good. And if that's the way you're living, I can guarantee that one of two things is probably happening. One, you're probably ready to give up on faith because it doesn't work out very well. Or you're miserable and you're making other people around you miserable. Like, that's what happens. When, when we want to be, have control and we want to be good at the same time, it is this impossibility, is this very thing that we cannot do. We cannot do. And here's the amazing, like, hard truth, is that God, God's primary purpose for our lives is not to make us happy. Like, God doesn't want us to be happy, first and foremost. And here's the other thing. God doesn't want us to be good, first and foremost. What God wants more than anything else is for us to be his. To be his, to belong to him. And when we belong to him, we can trust that he is going to make us both happy and good. And so this is our starting place, this place of surrender. Take a look at what God says to the prophet Jeremiah. In Jeremiah 18, in Jeremiah 18, verses 1 to 6, now this is the word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah. Excuse me, this is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house, and there I will give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house, and I saw him working at the wheel, this, this potter's wheel, forming the clay. Uh, and, but the pot that he was shaping from clay, it was marred, it was ruined in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as seemed best to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me, and he said, Can I not do with you, Israel, as the potter does, declares the Lord. Like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand, Israel. Uh, any of you potters? Any of you, like, dabbled in pottery or, like, do pottery professionally? I, I know, like, next to nothing about pottery, but I could watch potters do their thing for hours. Like, sometimes, like watch a YouTube video of just, like, master potters uh, doing their stuff. And, and so this is what God does. He, he gives this very, like, tactile message to the prophet. He says, go down to the potter's house and, and watch him working at the wheel, and he's throwing the clay, and his hands are messy, and he's involved with the clay, and he's, he's making this vessel, and he's making it, but the clay's not really cooperating with him. And so it, it's ruined, and then he remakes it into something else, something he wants to make out of it, something he sees fit to make of. And this is what God says, like, this is, this is what the life of faith is. It, it's trusting that God knows better than we do what God wants to form us into, what we were made for. It's, it's God as the potter, this master potter, the maker, and we, just his clay, that our only job is to stay moldable in his hands. The problem, the difference between clay that the potter is working with, clay that you work with in your studio, and us is what? We're living clay. We have these little things inside of us called wills. And these wills are strong, like they're incredibly strong. And they give us, our wills, they give us the ability to say, mm, no, I don't want to be formed into that, to resist the hands of the potter, that we, our wills, have the power 
to, to sort of resist God's work in our life, to say, no, I want to be made into what I want to be made into. I think I know what's best for, uh, for myself and for my future. And our wills teach us to push back against the hands of the potter or a will that is surrendered to the goodness of the potter can choose to cooperate with it. A will that says, actually, I trust that you know me better than I know myself. And I trust that you know the future better than I do. And so I'm surrendering my will. I'm choosing to partner with you. This is, this is the key that opens the door to life with God. Surrender. Uh, I'm, I'm absolutely convinced of this. And I'm convinced of this because this is the testimony of Scripture. And I'm convinced of this because if you read the works of any like, like spiritual giants from the past, the last couple thousand years of people who have lived extraordinary, ordinary lives with God, what you will find is this, this element of s- complete surrender, yieldedness, abandonment to God's will. Um, that surrender is the key that opens the door to a life of contentment, peace, and joy with God. And it is the only key that opens the door. That without this complete surrender, we cannot experience the kind of life God has for us. To, to trust God, to trust Jesus, and when he says trust in God, trust in me, it is both the hardest thing and the easiest thing you will ever do in your life. And this is why Jesus says these things. C.S. Lewis goes on to kind of expound on this. He says sometimes Jesus, he says like, hey, if you want to be my disciple, here's what you need to do. Take up your cross every single day and follow me. So like being a disciple is kind of like this death march. That's what the cross is. It's the symbol of death. So here, it's like the hardest thing in the world, Jesus. Like what are you talking about? Who's going to choose to follow you when you say that's what it means to, to like to pick up your cross every day and follow you? But then Jesus will say things like this. He says, so if you're burnt out on religion, if you're tired and weary and your soul is just fragile and, and, and shredded, come to me and you'll find life and you'll find rest because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Do you hear what Jesus is saying? Life with him is both the hardest thing we will ever do. In fact, it's impossible. And it's also the easiest thing we'll ever do. And the reason it's impossible is because it is not possible to live life with God without surrender to him. Uh, we go to the, uh, this lake in Illinois every once in a while during the summer, and there's this, uh, it, it's amazing, it has all these fun things to do, but there's this zip line that's like uh, off of a platform, like 15 feet off the ground, you grab the, you know, grab the handle, and you jump, and so like we're, we're doing this thing, and it takes you down into the water, and it's, it's so much fun, but like for the last couple of years, you know, my kids have been scared of this thing, and, and you desperately, like, you're watching other people do it, and you're like, I, I want to do it so badly, but I don't want to jump. Like, you're terrified, because this is both the hardest thing, and you can't possibly experience the joy of actually being on the zip line while still staying with your feet planted on the dock, on the platform, right? Do you hear what I'm saying? Like, this is what life with God is like. You will never experience the joy until you surrender to it. You, you are all in. This is, this, is, um, this is the key that opens the door. Now, this is what, um, is what Galatians 2.20 says. The Apostle Paul says it this way. I have been crucified with Christ. 
And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in this body, in the body I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So notice there are four eyes in this verse. The first two I put in black, the second two in yellow. Um, because there is this, the first two, like it says, I have been crucified. I have picked up my cross. I have in some way identified with Christ and I have been crucified with Christ. I am dead. We've, ta- we've been talking about Romans uh, 12 verse 1 um, where, where Paul calls us to be living sacrifices. There is something that dies on the altar of sacrifice. And it is this I, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. And the word I here, if you were going to look it up in the Greek, it's the word ego, E-G-O, um, like Lego my ego. Uh, for those of you who are like under, what, 35, you might not know what that is. <coughs> you can Google it. But how would we pronounce E-G-O in our language? Ego. What needs to die on the altar? Our ego. This I that dies is our ego. And you know what our ego says? Mine. Like, ego is a part of us that, that says, mine, it's mine, I want it, it's not yours. We, we learn this very early in life, don't we? Like, it's mine, and I will throw a fit, I will kick and scream and spit, you know, to keep this thing, it's mine. That is our ego, that's our ego. And here's the thing about the ego, is it doesn't naturally go away. We don't grow out of our egos on our own. You, you can grow up, and you can just be an adult-sized kid, it's not hard to look around the world and to see adult-sized kids running the world, all over the world, right? I mean, this, this thing inside of us that says, mine, me first, I'm better than you. This is what Jesus says, if we're going to live life with God, this is the thing that dies. And when it does, when it dies in surrender, when, when our will, when our ego is given over to Christ, what happens is we don't actually die, but there's a kind of resurrection. There's a new life. There's this life on the other side that says, this life that I now live in the body. I live it in, the, in, in this body. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Worship a surrender, surrender. So anybody who's ever been through Alcoholics Anonymous or any 12-step program, I mean, we're familiar with surrender. It's the second step. Surrendering to a higher power. This, this act of saying, I need, I, I need help. I don't have the capacity to change what I need to change. I can't live the life God wants me to live. And anybody, again, who's been through one of these 12-step programs is familiar with the serenity prayer. Maybe you're familiar with the serenity prayer as well. Do you know this prayer? Let, let's pray it together. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. That's the serenity prayer. But did you know that's not all of it? There's actually a lot more. So here, listen to this. I'll just read it to you. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardships as the pathway to peace, taking as he, he being Christ, taking as he did, this sinful world as it is and not as I would have it be, trusting that he will make all things right if I surrender to his will that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with him forever in the next. Amen. Worship a surrender. We, We get on the airplane because we trust the pilot. We trust the airline. We, even this thing that we've never seen, we, we go into surgery because we trust 
the medical schooling process that we trust the surgeon and the anesthesiologist. We, we eat the fruit at the grocery store because we trust this chain that has brought it to us. And we surrender our lives to Jesus because we trust that he is good. We trust that he has given himself for us. We trust that he would not harm us unless he wants to heal us. We trust him because of his mercy. And so two questions as we end, and and you have some place on the bottom of your outline to to respond to these. Jesse's going to come and and play a song. You guys cool if we go over a little bit? We're already over a little bit. Chiefs don't play till Monday. Woo! And the Browns have a bye week. Nothing to do. Um, Two questions. Two questions. What are some reasons I fear giving my life completely to God? You have some space on the bottom of your outline. We'd love to just have you take a moment and, and respond to these. What are some reasons I fear giving my life completely to God? To, to, to surrender is to say, God, I'm not giving you 60 minutes of my week or 90 minutes of my week or two hours of my week. God, I'm giving you my whole calendar. You have the, you have the ability to interrupt my schedule. I'm giving you access to my bank accounts and my internet passwords. My searches, my entertainment, my relationships. God, I'm giving you access to every part of my life. My business dealings are the things you fear about giving your life completely to God. And what are areas of my life that I am most reluctant to surrender?